You got a problem, you don't know what to do Your dreams are strange, and you're seeing things too The world is full of mystery Life's more than you can see You can ask pomegranate You can ask pomegranate She's a priestess You can ask me, I'm pomegranate and I've got this podcast and I want to tell you something about three words that are important to me and I use to guide my life. And it's going to come up in this podcast. And these three words are yes, no, maybe. And they are some of the most important words that we can think of. Uh, some of the most important words we can use to discern for ourselves what we do and don't want in our lives. And they're powerful because they open doors, close doors, and consider doors. And those are the three options you have with every influence in your life. This is your life, people, and you get to choose what you want. You get to have what you want and what you don't want, generally speaking. And so even in every circumstance, as Viktor Frankl tells us in Man's Search for Meaning, even in every circumstance, you still have your own voice of yes, no, maybe. So let's just talk about you and your ability to say yes, no, maybe, and how important it is to be able to set a boundary, say, no, I don't want that. And when people have taken that away from you, that magical act of saying no, no, thank you. When they've taken that away from you, they're trying to take your power away. And when you want to say yes to something, you have the right to say yes to things that fit you, that make you be who you are. It doesn't matter whose rules you're breaking. It doesn't matter who thinks it's right or wrong or what the gossip's going to be. You have to say it because it's right for you. You have to say yes to whatever gender you want to have. You get to say yes to whether or not you have children. You get to say yes to your dreams, your desires, your hopes. You get to say no to the crap you don't want. And you get to say yes to the crap you do want. It seems pretty simple, but it's really powerful. And if you think about it, that's a voice that has been taken away very often for a long time. And we don't think we have those voices. And we think everybody's going to get mad at us. And let me tell you, when you get to menopause, and everybody goes through menopause, I don't care what gender you have. When you, well, I mean, you know, you go through a hormonal shift. When you get there, you're going to use those words because your hormones won't let you not. So why not be, use them right now? Don't wait for menopause. Learn the words yes and no. And maybe is a beautiful one because it gives you a pause. It's like maybe it gives you a pause to consider. And usually maybe means not right now but I'll get around to it. I'll think about it. I'm willing to open up to new ideas. It gives us the ability to not be rigid. It also gets us the ability to take time before we say yes, take time before we say no. These are three powerful words. And I'm thinking about this because um, I recently heard um, a report on the news about, I think it was on 2020 or something, and they were talking about, you know, these charlatan psychics who steal everybody's money and, um, you know, they're not psychic at all, and so on and so forth. And there are people out there who are scam artists who are presenting themselves as psychic, 
who are doing it to get money. But the thing is, they're given the money. Yeah, they're tricking people. Yeah, they're lying to people. I mean, I've encountered, I encountered this lady one time. <laughs> and, and she was like, oh, are you interested in promissory? So she started reading my palm and I could, I'm psychic. So I knew she was a total charlatan. And I was like, yeah, I do. And she started reading my palm and then she's giving me the once over. And then she said, well, what do you do? And I looked at her and I went, I'm a, I looked her right in the eye with my third eye. And I went, I'm a psychic. And she looked at me and she got up and she left because she knew that I was a real psychic and she wasn't. And she knew I had caught her and she got up and left like fast because she was starting to put a whammy on me. So the, the, pro the thing was there, what I did was I said, no. And, and so are these people stealing your money? Um, yeah, I guess they're stealing your money, but you're kind of giving it to them, aren't you? I mean, you're actually going to a psychic and giving your power away and you can't give your power away. And so my thing when they see these shows about, and they're not even a real, they're not psychic. No, there are no real psychics. I'm like, so what? Like, who cares if they're psychic or not? That's not important. The importance is, do you value the information they're giving you? And are you using your discernment to use that information or not use that information? It's up to you when you go to see a psychic, whether or not you feel the information is valuable, you decide for yourself with your own gut, whether it's valuable. Yes, people, you know what, people do get demons in them, and they actually do need to have them removed for you. Does it cost $10,000 to do that? What does your gut say? <laughs> My gut says no, that people who are true healers or in the healing arts are usually taking a lot less money than they deserve for it. So you know, it's going to be not an outrageous amount of money, like it's going to be someone who's going to call cart you $150, $200 for something like that. And you might want to tip them because that actually took a huge chunk out of their energy to do that. So yeah, you might need a clearing, you know, it might need a healing. It's going to cost you 200 to 300 to $400 gets much above that. You're probably getting scammed. If it's, if they need to do it to you over and over again, use your discernment. Yes, no, maybe uh, you removed it, but it's still there and we have to do more. And that's why I have the bad luck. Well, no, Either they can remove it or they can't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like don't keep giving them money, right? So this is this question of yes, no, maybe your ability to discern the world around you, you taking ownership of the decisions you make and you claiming your voice, claiming your voice. And it's not confusing if you reduce it down to these three words. Yes, no, maybe, baby. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. Robin from Canada writes in on your Facebook page. She wants to know how she can learn to be assertive. Good question, Robin. How to learn to be assertive? Well, I think it's about personal power, isn't it? I mean, I learned it from my mother. My mother was a powerhouse, and so I learned it from her. She taught me to take no crap <laughs> and so I didn't I was very assertive even as a child and that was because of her and I had one moment with the nun and Catholic school and such when I was being really assertive and kind of feminist it was a dispute about shorts and whether girls could wear them and um, I was sent to the office and the nun looked at me and she said well I'm going to call your mother like it was a threat and I looked at her and I said go ahead and so then she did <laughs> my mother backed me up so I think one way, one thing that's good to, about being assertive is um, have a good role model and then find people who back you up. So because basically when we're not being assertive, 
uh, what's happening is we're being acquiescent and uh, we're trying to be nice. We're trying to get people to like us and we're not serving ourselves. We're serving our ego, basically. So if, so to be assertive, it's helpful to have role models. It's helpful to have people who support you because what you're doing is breaking the, the rule that you're supposed to be nice. And assertive people are not concerned with being nice. So they're concerned usually they or it's good to be concerned with being kind. And sometimes the kindest thing you need to do for someone is to be very assertive with them and show boundaries. And, you know, I've done that with people and they have not always thanked me. So you also have to look at a place where you will be assertive and people will not thank you for it. But I have done it. And the thanks I have gotten from people who've been thankful for that assertiveness have been the best thanks I've ever received. This is about serving yourself. This is about taking care of yourself and monitoring your boundaries and taking care of your edges. And that's what assertiveness is a tool to do. So one practice you could develop is to just stand still for a moment, stand for a moment or sit for a moment and notice your breath. So we breathe and when we breathe, we take in the world around us and we, we let go of the world around us. But we have these magnificent lungs and we have these nasal passages and think of them as the boundary between you and the world and they filter out things that are not necessary you don't want to breathe everything in the world but you do want the oxygen so think of those lungs as kind of a protection and if you didn't have that protection to filter out the things you don't want then you would not be well so we breathe in and the lungs filter out. They don't, the nose does not allow, the, the lungs do not allow. This whole respiratory system does not allow things that are not good. And if we expand this metaphor as you breathe to, I am allowed to ask for the things I want and to reject the things I don't want. I am allowed to be in a world where I choose the design of my life. And so allow that that idea to surround you and then I just want you to find the word no and uh, if you're a woman I think you're a woman you often are told you're not allowed to say no and just find the word no and put that at the edge <laughs> you kind of want to say no at first energetically to things until you understand them better right so it's okay just have an energy of no no thank you and we use our manners no thank you and just put that at your edge if you're a person who's not very assertive Breathe and use the power of the boundary of your lungs to put it around you and imagine it surrounding you and just be like, no, thank you. Or let me see. That's a softer way to do the same thing, which is let me see. Or I'll let you know later. And these are words you can use with people with, or as Miss Manners teaches us, oh, sorry, I couldn't possibly. Or she often just says, no, thank you. And just put those words around you ready to use because you are allowed to say no thank you i couldn't possibly let me see i'll let you know and that just gives you long enough to decide if you want that influence or not and then we go to the gut and the gut says yes no maybe and when we go to the gut and the gut says maybe or no they both mean no so we only proceed with a yes and that's a practice to help you learn to be more assertive Thank you. Five 
two zero two 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 ninety nine twenty two ninety nine twenty two. Hi, Pom. I am wondering what you think about gendered archetypes within relationships and the roles that people tend to take on. And if that is completely about the patriarchy and the social conditioning that we're subjected to, or if there are deeper stories that um, impact those uh, types of behaviors. Okay, thank you. It's an interesting problem, the question of gender, because we are so in a place of transition around it and we're dealing with the aftermath of math of the third third wave of feminism we're probably entering into a fourth wave of wave of feminism which is necessary um and we're dealing with a culture that is binary and gender which is ridiculous and doesn't make any sense of course everybody's gender is a beautiful snowflake, right? We're all unique to ourselves and our gender, and it's made up of so many different influences. I mean, um, <clears throat> one way that I would like to describe my gender is just I like to think of myself as my gender is green, the color green, and it's a particular color green. And when I think of my gender as a way to describe myself, as because after all, it's just a container in which to interact with others, right? This idea of gender and how you hold your thoughts on your own gender are influenced by a lot of things. They're influenced by the hormones in your body. They're influenced by the shape of your genitalia. That I think is the least important one. Um, the hormones definitely are influential in gender. They're influenced by your idea of what it is to be a woman, a man, a transgender, drag queen. I don't know what, whatever one you're identifying with, but it's your, however you think about that. And I think that's more the question you're asking, which is what do we do about the way I think about my gender and other people think about my gender? Gender is a thing that you define for yourself. And I think we're starting, we're starting to see seeds where small children are being raised with with the humans around them being curious about how will this gender develop it'll be really interesting and of course there are people who are gender fluid so if we're talking about the fluidity between male and female there are people who go um slide around on that some people slide around it on a daily some slide around it you know um all the time i i don't um i tend to present and experience myself as high femme, high woman, woman in a high feminine way, a lot of estrogen. Um, I find that weird because I spent a lot of lifetimes being a man and every womanly thing that happens to me, I'm always like, what's this? <laughs> what? What's oh, now what's going to happen? You know, I'm currently going through menopause. I'm like, what menopause? Because I have a lot of memories of not doing ever doing that. <laughs> so that's another influence is your spiritual gender. Um, if we were not in our bodies, what shape would you be? I mean, isn't that what we're talking about when we're talking about gender? It's what are the hormonal influences? What are the spiritual influence? What are the past life influences? What are your cultural influences? And um, I know that, you know, I was raised in 19, I was born in 1962, which makes, which is like a long time ago now. That That is a whole nother era. And there was a very binary experience of gender. You were born a certain gender. 
and that was that and you had roles to fit into and if you didn't fit into those roles you were a failure and those roles were projected on you and you didn't have a choice and then I came of age, I came into puberty in the, in the 70s, where a lot of that stuff got thrown out. Some of what got thrown out was me. I mean, some of the things that got thrown out in the feminist uh, era of the 70s was parts of who I was, I was no longer able to be because I'm a high femme. And as the culture moves on, um, what I see is, in, especially um, in alternative culture is a certain misogyny which is very repressive to the high feminine me and it's like I, I don't even identify with this femaleness of me I just see it as what I'm given it's like here's here's the body here's the hormonal effects and here's your desire oh that all falls into high femme that's what I'm given let me do that but no that's no longer valuable um, so I just want to make room <laughs> <laughs> I want to remind ourselves to make room for roles. Roles are great. Um, I like washing the dishes and cooking food and homemaking. I'm a homemaker. I love homemaking. And in the 70s, that was right out. Okay, you were really repressed if you didn't want to get out, go out and get a. In the 80s, if you didn't want to go out and get a high-powered career with a suit, you were not a feminist. And you know, yeah, I think there's plenty of homemaker feminists. What feminism is asking is, can I be myself and not get underpaid for that? <laughs> can I be myself and be glorious in this? And what, what um, goddess worshipers want is to say, hey, man, the goddess is beautiful and amazing. The female form is, most, is a stunning, stunning thing. Can we be worshipful for it? Can we praise that? Can we notice the earth is alive and that it gives birth to us? And can we praise that? So really we need to all let ourselves be who we are. And we also need to let ourselves change, let ourselves have roles that evolve, that change, that are traditional, that are, there are things that are hormonally driven. You're, you only have a certain amount of testosterone when you are in a male body that for so long and when you get old that kind of fades out as does the estrogen in the female body that fades out we all go back to kind of a neutral place with like we are when we're little kids it's a ride the hormones are a ride the roles are a ride you will change over time and we need to check our misogyny at the door. If you are prizing things that look more culturally male over things that look f culturally female, then you are being misogynistic, okay? Because there is no one that's better than the other. They're both equally valuable and we should all get paid equally. Thank you, Patricia Arquette. I just wanna also just wanna say, I had a little moment aside to be a little pissed off at the reaction to Patricia Arquette because um, recently, I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but she won an Academy Award and she said, hey man, what if women were to get paid equally and she was like hey everybody who is in who is in the non-privileged classes what if we were all to work together now did she say it perfectly she's an actress people write for her what 
happens when we criticize women who are saying feminist statements, or really anybody who's saying an anti-homophobic, anti-racist statement, what is happening, we, crit we criticize them when we are in the underprivileged classes, is we are letting ourselves be laterally oppressed. So I want to call it out for everybody. When you hear someone making a statement, and maybe they're not saying it most perfectly, that we don't spend our time calling them out and getting mad at them and being women who are sitting around criticizing Patricia Arquette for having said what she said. Instead, we go focus back on what her point was. Because if you do that, you're letting the oppressive culture win. And we focus back on what she's saying, which is the women get paid 25 cents less than men and black women, oh, she didn't say this, but I'll say it, black women get paid like 40 cents less than men on the dollar. So in America, and so that is the point. And that is not good. I almost swore. That's how mad I am about this. And so please, everybody, before you criticize someone who is making a statement that is feminist, do not take her down. Do not criticize her. Support the point she's trying to make. This perfectionism in the left is making me crazy, people. It's making me crazy. So let people flu be fluid in their gender. Let them wear aprons if they want to wear aprons and make a household and slide all the way up to a male gendered external outlook, slide down to a female. I don't care what you do. Just do it because it comes emanates from you and no one told you who you could or shouldn't be. This is about centering into self. I had a little rant there. Okay. Well, that's what I have to say. I support you, Patricia Arquette. I think you're awesome. Women should get paid the same as men. And everybody who's transgender should get the same as men. And we should all get paid equally for what we do. Thanks for that question. Visit my website at askpomegranate.com. Hey, um, I got a question. I was wondering, what happens when you are put in a position where you have to be in a kind of hostile environment where, say, for example, you're staying in a major resort with family and it's really hard to keep up protection and keep your safe space and you're under constant seemingly attack from family as well as being around massive amounts of human beings that, um, yeah. And, or, you know, visiting family members that may not have a space that is a safe place either, but you have to stay there because it's the only option you got when you're staying in New York City for Thanksgiving and you have one uncle who everybody's staying with. Okay. Um, I am excited to hear the answer. Thanks, pomegranate. Bye. Oh, family. Oh, it's hard for all of us. <laughs> you know, I mean, family is difficult. If your family's super, super toxic, then it's really difficult. Is there a way, if your family is really, really toxic, is there a way you could give yourself permission to not expose yourself to it? That's one question you have to ask yourself. Now, cutting your parents out of your life is a thing that sometimes we have to do. Um, it's a lot of work to keep your parents out of your life. If they are, if they are people you would not allow your four year old child to be around 
for two hours, if you're like, I would never allow my child to be alone with those people for two hours, that's sort of my criteria for why would you put yourself in that position? (laughs) If you can't let your your four-year-old child sit with these people for two hours, why would you put yourself in that position? That seems like a very harsh environment. So that's when I started thinking, is there any way we can like remove these people from your life? And there's a lot of deal breakers. Like people who are actively using alcohol or drugs, people who have um, agreed to physical or sexual child abuse, um, who have seen it and allowed it to happen or who have um, done, uh, if they've done that themselves, they're right out. You know, that that's a no go right there. So those are some criteria I would use. People who are verbally abusive and when asked, when told, if you don't stop this, I won't be around you anymore. And they continue to be verbally abusive. Yeah, I don't know that I would spend any time with them. Um, that That's really questionable for me. I might be willing to cut you out of my life. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a generational shift happening around parents where uh, when I grew up, if you had parents, you were obliged to hang out with them whenever because they were your parents, no matter what how they treated you. My parents were, you know, were not terrible. So I was able to hang out with them. That question didn't come up, but you were required to. Now what's happening is children are growing up and realizing they don't have to spend time with people who are abusive. Like relationships can get broken through behavior. Relationships are made out of porcelain. And if we all treated our relationships like they were delicate, beautiful porcelain, uh, it would be much better. And just because you gave birth to me doesn't mean I have to spend time with you if you are abusive to me to the point where I can't tolerate it, where it hurts me. Every time I see you, I leave injured. That's when I'm going to start to wonder why I'm spending time with you. So then what we have to do is work on trying to educate our parents to stop doing that thing that is injurious. And then as a parent, listen to me, parents, when your child comes to you and says, I don't want to be around you because every time I see you, you're drunk. That means you got to go to rehab, people. That means you got to go to 12 steps. You got to get sober. Your child is telling you they are wise in telling you. If they're saying, don't talk to me that way, or I won't spend time with you, stop talking to them that way. You don't get to injure your child and expect to have a relationship anymore. You actually have to be a reasonable person to your child. I'm not saying you got to spend all your time praising children because frankly, that's a whole, that's the pendulum has swung the other way. I was in the park the other day and I mean, I was with my grand person and literally three strange parental people who didn't know Thomas complimented him because he was standing there. Like we got to stop that too. That's, that's a little crazy. But if you can't avoid, if your family is so toxic that you can't tolerate them, I suggest you don't tolerate them and you get the hell away from them. So that's, you know, if if it takes that much energy to protect yourself when you're around them, maybe you shouldn't be around them. Maybe you should not be around them. You certainly should not allow your children to be around them. Okay. You know, you get to say no. Um, Let's cast our mind back to being more assertive and breaking the rules and not being nice and being kind by saying your behavior is outrageous. I will no longer tolerate it. That's actually a really kind thing to say to someone who's abusive. It's very kind. It's not nice, but it's kind and it's assertive. So I would encourage you to do that. Now, let's just say it's the average family like most of us have and we can tolerate them. And but we are all how carrying our ancestral wounds and acting them out randomly and then other times being having a great time and so on. And you're just dealing with the regular kind of my family drives me crazy thing. 
Um, that feeling of my family drives me crazy is you trying attempting to be different from them it's called differentiation and it's one of the most important part of child rearing and it is very little used shall i shall we say you should use it more often because your child needs to understand that they are not you that they are different from you and your job is to help them understand those differences and support them in it and then make them go out of your house and be successful in the world by go go along and have your life so what happens when we get around our family is we get in a position where we feel the pressure to not be different and we try to sort of fit in and and we try to fix and we try to get people to like us and we try to calm things down and we try to make sure things don't blow up or we try to make the the incredibly horrible repression not completely make us feel like we're gonna die and we buy so we tend to fall back into roles of usually the age that you were kind of injured inside that system so like you'll probably like for me i usually fall back to like a 14 year old is when i was having the hardest time in my family and probably everybody did at 14 and i tend to sort of like act like a 14 year old or my initial response to everything is to be a 14 year old so what I suggest is you notice that, that that if you're drawn to your family and you find that you're reactive at the particular emotional level, that's where you incurred an injury that you need to still heal. So I encourage you to look at that particular injury. And I was uh, the little one. Um, my sisters don't listen to this podcast, but one of, one of my kind of adopted sisters does. So don't tell them I'm talking about this. Okay, so <laughs> I, when I, I was the, the little one, and so I was sort of like, you're you are four or five years younger than us. You're not really capable. And so when I feel upset when I'm around my sisters, it's usually like, they don't think I'm capable. I'm really capable. And I find myself saying like, I'm 50 years old. I can make a dinner, you know, <laughs> like standing up for my ability to make dinner, like whatever. Right. It's just my injury. Um, I know I just have to remember I'm capable when I'm around my sisters. It's really nothing to do with them. It's just me healing that part of myself that got injured by a voice that I believed I heard or did hear that hurt me and made me feel less than myself. And so I need to be able to be capable and differentiate from the idea that I'm the dumb young one or I'm the incapable young one, right? So just look for that injury. So having said that, now... Here's what I say. If you're going to be around your family and they're hostile and the energy you're in is hostile and you don't like it and you're still going to do it, then do yourself a favor and take some jewelry and bless it with some really powerful self-love and um, remove, you know, repellent energy that repels weird stuff and make sure you put that thing on and wear it the whole time you're there and you just charge that necklace with your intention of what you want the trip to be like and what, how you're going to accomplish that and how you're going to maintain your boundaries and how you're going to have a nice time and how, hey, man, it's New York City. There's lots of places to go and how you're not tied and how you are different and how you're not tied to that past. And you charge that um, piece of jewelry. It's a ring or a necklace or a pin and you wear it. You wear it all the time and you don't take it off. Uh, except for maybe to clear it and put it back on again, recharge it and put it back on again, <laughs> right? Um, they push our buttons and that's not always a bad thing. Getting your buttons pushed can often be, ah, this is what I need to heal. That's if they're tolerable, but if they're not tolerable, don't go. You know, send a letter. 
<laughs> and if you don't go, you'll be like, I really missed it. Then you'll go and then you'll say, this is horrible. And at some point you'll decide which one, where, where does it scales? Does it tip? Does it tip? I miss them or does it tip? It, this is horrible. And that's where you find it. Um, and give yourself permission to be different. Be you regardless of what, what is going on around you. Let people be in their own holograms and don't step into their hologram of you, their decision, who you are, decide who you are before you re-enter that zone and hold on to that. The more you do that, the more you practice that, the better you'll get. And you know what? It's really funny. You start having a good time. It's like amazing. So that's what I'm going to recommend to you. And also, why don't you be the travel agent for your family and decide where you're going if you don't like going to those hotels because you don't like them, I can tell. And just take charge, you know, do the work and make it happen. If you're really into your family and you don't like where they go, make a decision about where to go and take charge of that. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Pom. You're an awesome producer of my podcast. Thank you very much. I really enjoy working on your show. But you know, when I need a reading, you're the person I go to. So I'd like to tell people about how they can get a hold of you to get a reading at a very reasonable rate, either by the phone, by Skype, or they can come in person to see you, right? Yes, that would be wonderful. I love giving psychic tarot card readings to people. So please. Uh, what's your, how do they contact you? Best way to get a hold of me through email is Kayleen, K-A-Y-L-E-N-E, -E, at oraclevoice.com. Kayleen at oraclevoice.com. What's your specialty when it comes to psychic readings? My specialty is helping people really get a sense of the lay of the land in their current life, what's, what's happening, putting some context around it, and giving guidance and supportive advice around best course of action on how to move forward with something. So if you got a problem and you don't know what to do, call Kayleen and get a reading. It's very reasonable to be priced. What's your scale? Yeah, for a one hour reading, it's $75. And that is something that'll last you for a good three to four months. You're not going to need to come back for a reading more than that. And then I also offer, you can ask one question over email, and that's $25. Great. So get a hold of Kayleen at Kayleen at oraclevoice.com. Oh, oh, wait, you also have a party uh how do we, if you want an, or you and your crew to come to a re, uh, psychic readings at a party, how do they, same thing, Kayleen at oraclevoice.com? That you're going to want to go to info at portlandspartypsychics.com. And we have a website, portlandspartypsychics.com. And yes, myself and other highly qualified readers love coming to birthday parties, bachelorette parties, employee appreciation parties, and making it a lot more fun by giving your guests readings. Yeah, they get a five or 10 minute reading, right? Yep. Make your party pop. Pop. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. She's a priestess. Hey, Pom. I have a question about thwarted desire. As a witch, I put a lot of stock in my desires. I pay attention to them. I, um... I feel like desire is a really, really powerful force in my life and the lives of people in general. But I also have a huge fear 
that my desires will not be met in this lifetime. Um, and that is something that I actively work with and will continue to work with. But it's also something that I see in, um, like, mainly I pay attention to it in, like, the elders in my life or people significantly older than me, like, people who really wanted to have kids but never got to, like, big, like, kind of big desires like that or, like, really wanted to be partnered but never found the right person. Um, and those are those are two desires that I have that I have huge fears about not being met. So those are two that I pay attention to a lot. And I just wanted to know your take on, like, thwarted desire, like, what that is about. Um, so that is my question. Thank you very much. Bye. Oh, what would happen to the music industry if we didn't have these problems, right? I mean, the entire music industry, the film industry, romance novels. I mean, this is the this is the question of the human experience. Actually, even before we get food and shelter, this is the question. This is the driving force between uh, behind us is our desires, our dreams, our hopes, our wants, our needs. Those things drive us I mean it's the question how to resolve it and if I had the power to answer that um I mean obviously I'm trying to answer it (laughs) one of the my dreams one of my desires is to be able to answer this question and and um what I will tell you is the thing that that is needed for this pursuing of this these big questions is patience that a lot of where we get tangled up around desires and dreams and hopes is um, we want to be in control of the timing. The timing of when it happens. And also we want to be in charge of how it happens. We develop these movies in our minds and we, you can become so fixated on the movie that you if you if it doesn't come in that exact packaging that you won't recognize it so there's this subtle line between manifesting our desire and how shall i put this um being a huge control queen about how it looks and when it comes and what what the story is and what the lover looks like and what the sound of their voice is. There's a subtle difference. And it's actually one of the subtleties of magic is to be able to dream the dream enough to manifest it, to call it in, but to not hammer it into so small a box that you don't even notice it and it just walks right by you. Um, And so this takes patience, right? And it also takes a certain amount of surrender. Ironically, the thing that is often needed when calling into manifestation the thing you want is the willingness the intention so the intention is just i intend to have so it's a subtle art is what i'm trying to say so one of the things that can help is considering timing considering the subtleties of it but also differentiating between and this is not easy to do i mean there's a book by barbara share i might have recommended to you folks before it's called wish craft and it's not witchcraft. It's not, you know, the season of the witchcraft. It's wishcraft, W-I-S-H craft, Barbara Scher, who is a genius. I wish I could meet her someday. Maybe I will. I just probably manifested it um, because she's changed my life with her books. She's so wise and she's got great ideas. And in the book, she really talks about the process of manifesting 
and allowing yourself the room to know who you are. And one of the things you got to learn is what's the difference between a want, a need, a desire, a dream, and also what part of you is asking for it? What part of you are you dreaming out of? Are you dreaming out of your ego? Um, because that's fine. You'll get it. You won't like it. <laughs> nothing's ever good enough for the ego. The ego is a hungry beast. And so when you get a thing, it's like, you know, the beast, the, the ego, that's not good enough. I want now I want this. And that's that feeling that we always get of like dissatisfaction that we carry as humans of like, yeah, I got it, but it wasn't what I wanted or wasn't quite right. So now I want this thing. And that can eventually turn into greed and that becomes a pain in your heart. So are you, is your desire out of service work? Is it out of um, self-sacrifice? Is it out of self, which I don't believe in. Usually self-sacrifice is a kind of ego driven thing. Is it out of the core nature of who you are, of being that centered person and knowing what your work is here on earth? And we know what your work is because it makes you feel kind of happy and thrilled to think about it. And this is a little simplistic, but it's actually a useful practice, which is um, doing only what kind of makes you happy in any given moment. <laughs> so if it's time to clean the toilet, you'll know because you'll be like, I'm going to clean the toilet. And if it's not time, you'll know because you're like, I don't want to clean that toilet. And try, I, I just want to, just even with housework, you can try this. Try just doing what you kind of feel like doing. It means your house will get messy for a while, but it'll also get clean. It's just a simple way to practice this thing of being in alignment with your timing and alignment with your true nature because it's difficult to get in alignment and it takes a spiritual practice. One really powerful spiritual practice you can use is the 12 steps. I don't care if you have an addiction, the 12 steps will teach you this, how to stay in alignment. And one of the things the 12 steps tells us is one day at a time. And when we work one day at a time, it means today, what is given? What is given for me to do today? What is the right action at the right time today? And I'll know because I kind of want to do it. It kind of makes me happy. And so sometimes the right action is I kind of want to go do that one thing. It makes me happy, but I actually am not motivated enough to get up and go do it. So that means you're getting there, but you're not quite there. So you'll be off timing if you get up that moment and go do it. You have to actually go... I am inspired. I have this feeling of inspiration. I just kind of want to do it. And you, f what happens is then you find yourself in flow. You find yourself in alignment with your, I mean, uh, destiny is too big a word with your world, with your life's path, with your, the river of life that flows through time. That is yours. That belongs to you. That is the, that is the most beautiful, elegant way. And what we're, what, what we're talking about is finding the elegant movement in life. And that is, if you can't be present for the day and just do that every day, then try doing it for the next one minute. Just in the next minute, what's the right action at the right time? And if you can do that for an hour, and at the end of the hour, say to yourself, what's the right action at the right time? That is actually how you get to the desires being fulfilled. And... You know it's your desire because it gets fulfilled, okay? <laughs>
when you are taking the right action at the right time, when you are paying close attention to the flow and stepping into that, um, that feeling of you're being challenged enough and things are moving and you're wa- and the world is opening up for you and the doors are opening up for you. Or as my friend, um, an artist whose work is going really well right now said, it's like being carried on a chair. It's like someone comes up and carries your chair and you're just brought to the right place. When you can get into that place through this practice of doing what's given in any moment, then you're living this very elegant life and it takes you to a fulfillment of your desires. And you know, those are your desires because they're being fulfilled and it's satisfying. You don't feel that hungry beast. You, you feel satisfied and you're, and you are not trying to control everything. And I am a girl who likes to control everything. I get to control some things, but mostly not very much. And you're just in flow because things are happening naturally. When I, when I notice I'm getting controlling, I'm not in flow. When I notice things are being frustrating, I'm not in flow. When I notice that I'm bored or irritated, I'm not in flow. And so what my job is not to worry that I'm not in flow, but be like, well, where is flow? Where'd you go? But that's the world. It's like being in the river that is the elegant nature, the most elegant nature of your life. And that's kind of... That's like high sister praise, man. That's like, we're talking high hippie, high, high, high sister hippie world when you're in the elegant world, right? You're, or as we talk about the El Mundo Bueno, that's when you know you're in El Mundo Bueno, the good world as opposed to the bad world. So wants, I want, it's usually ego bound. It, it's impulsive. If I, if I don't do it right now, I probably won't do it tomorrow or later. Like, you know, I want a piece of cake. It's like, well, there's no piece of cake around. I've learned this. I won't eat a piece of cake. (laughs) And the desire, I'll eat, you know, a chicken leg. And then the desire for the piece of cake will go away. That's the want. Need, it's like, look, without these core things, I'm not very functional in the world. I really need, you know, certain things. Like, we all need sanctuary. We all need to be respected in our civil rights. We all need to be honored for um, being alive. And we need to be honoring of others that are alive. Uh, we all need to have access to clean water, air, and food. Uh, those basic needs, those are essential. That's a need. That's a want. A desire is that feeling that arises out of the core of who you are, that heart's desire, that is like inspiration, that you feel inspired to go do. And if you don't feel inspired, and if it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's impossible, then it's probably not your desire. Now, does that mean there are going to be no hard days? No, no. We are still animals. We still have aches and pains and illnesses and heartbreak and tragedy and horror stories and difficult things and PTSD and all of that. It just means that all of that happens inside of elegance. And so it's easier to handle it, frankly. Uh, I had a terrible year last year, which is why there was not so many podcasts. And when I came out of the end of it, I went, oh my God, wow, that was a terrible year. But I didn't quite realize it till the end because I was inside my beautiful life. I was like, Oh, that was a horrible year inside my beautiful life. Right. That was horrible. I actually need to do some recovery work to recover from the stress of that. But it was inside my beautiful life. And that's the ticket. So we're not looking for pain for your challenge free life. We're just looking for elegance. And here's one more thing to say about that. The more elegantly you live your life, the more inflow you are, the more inside your desire, true desire you are, the more you let go and surrender to that, the more patience you bring to it and allow timing to be right, the more everything around you becomes like that in elegance. And let's face it, 
the crisis we're having on the planet right now is a spiritual one, a physical one, and it's caused because we've designed systems that are inelegant. And if you come into elegance, it causes a vibration where everything comes into elegance. And the the climate change problem is a, a problem of an inelegant system of energy. And we just need elegant ones. And they're they're right there. They're right there in solar power. It's just around the corner. And so the more elegant you become, the more you support the transformation we're in. And for just for a moment, I just want to ask everybody listening to f- take a moment and visualize the future of this planet when it's when it's the energy problem is solved in a beautiful elegant way we all have abundant energy and everybody is doing well <sighs> and anyway i pray for you to get your desires met in the right time thanks for that question for more podcasts and special offers visit my website at askpomegranate.com hi pom this is allison i'm a witch in portland oregon and i have a question for you What's your take on angels? Um, I know that in the pagan tradition, we don't often emphasize angels a lot. And I have to say, honestly, I have no idea what they are and I have no experience with them. But there certainly seem to be a lot of people around who really have profound experiences with angels. And I just wondered, what are they? Are they spirit guides? Are they fairies? Are they a whole different class altogether? Um, yeah, I was just hoping you knew something about that. Thanks. Angels. You know that Jane Seabury song, Calling All Angels? So beautiful. Um, angels are a lot of different things. We call it, we use that word to define a lot of different things. Um, you know, if you want to go biblical, I'm not a biblical scholar, so I don't know, but they seem like they're kind of badass in the Bible. (laughs) They're always causing trouble and kind of fighting and, they have a lot of drama. They're sort of like really into soap operas when you're in the Bible version of things. And they're kind of mean and start wars and, you know, kick each other out. Like, you know, condemning and you're, yes, you're good. You're not like, I mean, you know, this seems to me. And I always, when I was a little kid, I always thought this about the Bible when I was in Catholic school. And that was, man, the, the people who wrote this really had a lot of drama in their lives. I, I sensed, I could really feel the human authors behind that book. Not saying that it wasn't divinely channeled, I'm sure it was, but all of our things that we channel that are divine come through a filter. And when I divine things, when I bring it through, it comes through the filter of me uh, as I am in this present moment. So that's what I think of the Bible. And I'm like thinking, wow, those people. And of course, you know, they, you know, they got rid of like 400 AD, they got rid of like 85% of the Gospels and said, we're going to stick with these four because there was too much fighting about all the Gospels. There was a lot of Gospels. There was a major edit about 400 years into Christianity, like a big-ass edit. And then, of course, since then. So the Bible's got an interesting history. I think it's really fascinating. People think it's such a divine book when you look at the history of it and how many times it's been edited and misquoted and 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 translated incorrectly. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um to be so reliant on it, on a written thing that humans have had their hands all over for, you know, 1600 years or more. So uh, there's those Bible, those angels. My experience of angels are multiple. There's a lot of different ways. And I think one of the main sort of easiest way for you, for one of us to connect with an angel is to simply talk to the one that goes through life with us because you came down to planet earth with an angel. And that 
um, angel is your guardian angel. There's no, there's not a mistake that you have a guardian angel. Um, that the word angel is attached to because the the inside of that context, it's the energy of a benevolent or beneficial being of spirit that is emanating wellness and um, your guardian protects you. So it's this being who's there for your benefit, who has signed on to your trip to planet earth and said, I will come and I will do my very best to protect you. Please listen to me. Please listen to your guardian angels. They will talk to you and tell you not to go across the street right now. Wait 30 seconds. When you listen to your guardian angels, your life is less eventful so sometimes when I listen to my guardian angel, they're like, go here. And I think, yes, they're speaking to me. I will do this amazing thing. And, um, and then 10 minutes will go by and they'll, and they'll say, okay, go back to what you're doing. And then nothing will happen. And I'll say, you know, what was that in aid of guardian <laughs> angel? Usually they were just getting me out of the line of problems. They were like, just move aside while whatever problem you might've encountered goes by. And it's as simple as that. That's their mostly what they do for me. So that there's that, but an angel is also something that you can generate out. I've said this in other podcasts. It's something you can generate through your intention um, of prayer. Once you start prayer, praying or meditating um, on the well-being of others, like the Dalai Lama is the master of this. <laughs> he's just he's generating angels that fly fly around to all of the beings of the world. And the prayer that you make becomes over. And if you do it enough and you do it long enough, it becomes a being, which is sort of like a tiny little beautiful little angel that flies around and goes to whoever you're meditating on. And you can certainly do this for yourself. And there ain't nothing wrong with generating some angels that follow you around. If you think for a moment, I bet you know someone who moves to the world at, in such a way of grace that you feel they're surrounded by beings of benevolent beings. And that is usually beings that they have created out of their own clarity of set intention, their centeredness and connectedness to their higher power, connectedness to their own heart's desire and connectedness to the power and beauty and profundity of the earth so that they're active in the world and they move through the world in this way and, and they're, they pray for others in a genuine way and they pray for themselves. Like, honey, if you can't pray for yourself, you're no good at praying for others. You got to pray for your own self. You got to be nice to you. You got to say nice things. You got to get up in the morning and look in that mirror and go, there she is. Isn't she gorgeous? I love you. Little prayer for yourself eventually creates the angel of self love that surrounds you. You move through the world in grace. You become an influence. Think of somebody. You might know somebody like that. Maybe you've met them. Maybe you've seen them on TV. But you just get this feeling of well-being around you when you think about them or you encounter them. And that is someone who is generating these little tiny human-born angels that are um, flying away from them to go and nurture others and also nurturing themselves. Because every time we generate an energy, it comes back to us you know, at least three times as powerfully as we sent it out. This is a law of the craft. Whatever you send out comes back to you three times over. So that's one, another kind of angel 
And then there are actually my encounters of my journeys to the spiritual realms, which is me sitting in my living room and looking around. Uh, <laughs> you know, the spiritual realm is right here right now. Um, the I have encountered angels and they're, I mean, they're kind of like, okay, here, let me describe to you what I experienced. They're kind of like, this very celestial realm energy. So it's all kind of blue and white and shiny and sort of what they talk about when they talk about when you die and you go and you see people say the being of white light. They're kind of like that. They're so shiny and they envelop you and they bring peace. And so you may have encountered one of these in, uh, a moment when you suddenly had a feeling of peace that was unexpected and that made you feel completely right in all ways. And it, we, another way to describe that is a moment of grace. And yet you have to include the experience of fierceness because if you don't get the grace without the fierceness, we're not talking about angels because angels are fierce, honey. And they are here to freaking heal. And they will heal you. And you will wonder, whoa, that was fierce. <laughs> but I got healed. So one example of this is like that moment of revelation when if when you realize, ah, oh, I really did something wrong really badly, but it's okay, I will be forgiven. And that is the moment of grace. And that's when you know you're encountering an angel because it's that fierce moment of owning your crap and letting it be okay and knowing you can heal that that if you've had that experience you've encountered an angel and there um here's an and then there's another way to think about angels which is that being so imagine uh um when you're not in the human realm you're in the spiritual realm because there's freedom to do whatever the hell you want whatever the hell you want you have decided to be a mermaid or you've decided that you're a unicorn or you know you grew well you live with the silkies or you live with the dragons you are a dragon um you might also be an angel and so there are human beings who are on the earth who are angels and yet they are walking around being just humans so they're humans having the angels having the human experience and they are walking through the world just being a human and there's nothing really super special about them unless they activate it <laughs> and usually you'll be a little afraid of them when you're around them just because of the feeling of awe when they're activating it just the feeling of awe you get of like this is a fierce amazing huge gigantic creature <gasps> that's a little scary because they're going to change your change you somehow you're going to change your life and you won't even know how they're doing it and then they put it away and they're back to being you know sarah on the corner you know who smokes cigarettes i mean you know it could be a homeless woman it could be anybody so that's my encounters with angels and then there's the archetype angels that we deal with like gabriel who calls your soul to arise and come unto you and when you've got those really big angels that come up um those ones are really uh, calling certain aspects of you forward. Um, and you can find those in the Tarot quite a bit. There's a lot of angels in the Tarot. There's Lucifer and there's Ariel and there's Gabriel. And so those are kind of the big archetypes that hold a certain patterning, you know. Uh, yeah, angels are cool. I like angels. Yeah, I like them. I work with them if I can, if I get blessed enough to do it. Thanks for that question.
Well, that's another podcast wrapped up. Thanks for your questions. And I hope you have a very assertive day.